Uh, so the book of Daniel chapter 3, um, I, I give my message a title tonight, and it's uh, Godliness Under Pressure. And I think you guys know why. Uh, up until this point, from chapter 2 to 3, there's a, there's a period of about 10 years. Um, some estimate even more than that, even up to like 20 years. But for sure, just to be kind of um, on, on the conservative side, there's, there's a period of about 10 years from chapter 2 to chapter 3 of the book of Daniel. And so a, a lot has, has transpired there in Babylon within those 10 years. Um, Daniel and his friends are now well established and recognized in their job positions in Babylon. If you remember, if you remember in chapter 2, uh, because Daniel was able to interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar promoted Daniel to, to a position of authority there in Babylon. But Daniel, you know, not being, not being the selfish guy that he's not, he said, hey, well, what about my buddies? And so he got jobs for his buddies as well for uh, Shadrach, Meshach. Meshach and Abednego. And so by this point, you know, all those guys are already well established there in their positions in Babylon. And so we look at chapter 3 in light of the prophecy that was described in chapter 2. You know, we're reading it just page by page, you know, but, but Daniel's pinning this down and he's skipping, you know, he's jumping years. And so we're going we're gonna to take a look at chapter 3 in light of the prophecy that was described in chapter 2. And what I mean by that is that, well, in chapter, in this chapter, uh, we're going to see the unwavering faith of these three Hebrew men, you know, and their boldness to stand for God in the midst of the pressures of the world. And it's, it's awesome because their bravery and their boldness can be of inspiration to us as well. You know, to take a stand for our beliefs despite the pressure of the world closing in on us, kind of pressing in on us. Like the, apostles, like the Apostle Paul would say, hey man, I'm being pressed in on, on all sides. Sometimes we could feel like that. Right, and so and so the book of Daniel, specifically this chapter, you know, encourages us. It it, it, it inspires us, you know, to take a a step of boldness, to take a a firm stand on our beliefs as well, despite the pressures of the outside world, despite the, the pressures of the philosophies of this world, of the teachings of this world, of just the, the pressure of this world. And so, with that, I'm going to go ahead and just get into the chapter. I'm going to go ahead and read verse one of the of chapter three, and it starts off by saying this. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So pretty much all the important people, you know, all the government officials. And verse 3 says, So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the, of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And we'll stop right there. And so we're told, we're right off the bat, we're told that King Nebuchadnezzar erected an image of gold. You know, and we're told about this image of gold. Now remember... In, back in chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of this huge statue, right? That was his whole dilemma. Uh, he had this, this, this dream that was haunting him for nights. He, he had the same recurring dream, and he couldn't find anyone to, to give him the interpretation of the dream. We read how it was God that was giving him this dream. And so he finds Daniel. Well, actually, Daniel approaches him, and, and Daniel gives him the interpretation of the dream according to how God revealed it to him. And we see that, that in chapter 2, you know, the, the interpretation of this dream, we see that, 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 the, that the image that King Nebuchadnezzar saw, um, and we saw that different body parts of the statue were made up of different metals and, and even clay. You know, the, the, the feet were made of part of iron, part of clay. And we see that, that each metal and body part represented a different uh, world-dominating empire. 
We saw that the head of gold was represented by, by the empire of Babylon. Uh, the, the chest and the arms were represented by, 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 uh, by the Medo-Persians uh, and King Cyrus. We saw that the belly and the thighs were represented by, by Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire. And then we saw that, that, that the feet uh, were represented by, by the coming, uh, I mean by Rome. And then the, the, following, the following empire was going to be the kingdom, the kingdom of the Antichrist. And then lastly, you know, that rock that was going to crush it all down and bring it down to pieces and, 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 and make it be dust in the wind is going to be the kingdom of Christ that's uh, still to come. And so there in that, in that vision that he had, there in that interpretation of that dream, again, the head of gold of that image was, was Babylon. You know, so the head of the statue was made of gold and it represented the empire of Babylon. Now here's Nebuchadnezzar building a, a whole statue in which the whole body is made of gold, not just a head. You know, so what's, all, what's his, his, his logic behind all this? You know, what's he trying to say? Uh, well, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, again, some years prior, Daniel's interpretation foresaw the end of Babylon's rule and, the, and its power on earth. And now King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he establishes this huge statue made of all gold. And what he's saying pretty much is, hey, I'm not just the head of gold, but I'm the whole body made of gold. You know, he's saying, uh, he's saying you know, my, my, my kingdom is going to have no end. You know, my power will have no end. You know, he's saying, I'm, just, I'm not just the head of gold, but, but I'm the whole body of gold. You know, and so he builds this statue in direct opposition to God's command. You know, he, he builds this, this statue in direct opposition to God's plan for the world. Really. You know, so he built it uh, in direct opposition to, to the God of heaven. And so we're told that, that the height of this statue that, Nip, that King Nebuchadnezzar built, we're told that its height was 60 cubits and then its width was 6 cubits. Now, translated to, to our system of measuring, uh, that would be somewhere around 90 feet tall and, and, and 9 feet wide. So it wasn't, you know, very wide, you know, it was just pretty much like long and skinny, really, really, really tall and skinny. You know, so 90 feet uh, tall and 9 feet wide. You know, it was this tall, skinny statue, you know, probably, it probably wasn't made of solid gold. You know, it was probably uh, just gold-plated, because that would have been a lot of gold. Um, and so we're told that King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he calls all the governing officials of Babylon to the dedication of this statue. Again, he's, he's, he's making a point here. You know, again, everybody knows, you know, the, the interpretation. Everybody would have heard about the, 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 this dream that he had. I mean, it was a big thing, right? There was people who, who were dying because they couldn't, they couldn't give him their interpretation. So everybody knew the interpretation of this dream. And everybody understood that, that the empire of Babylon was one day going to come to an end. And so, what, again, what King, what King Nebuchadnezzar is doing, he's taking a stand. You know, he's, he's in direct rebellion to God. And he's saying, my kingdom shall stand forever. Uh, I will stand, my, my power will stand forever. You know, my, my, my empire will stand forever. And so we're told again that he makes a statue. He brings everyone, all the governing officials to Babylon for the dedication of the statue. And really what he was doing is that he was testing their allegiance to him at the ceremony. I mean, remember, this guy's on a power trip. You know, he's crazy. And so it goes on to say there in verse 4, it says, Then a herald cried aloud, and he said, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a, fire, of a burning, fiery furnace. And verse 7 says, so at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down, and they worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We'll stop right there. And so we see now it's time to bow down, right? He sets up this image, and 
Uh, I mean, the fact that, that, that you know, he, all of a sudden he comes up with this image, I mean, that kind of gives an idea, you know, that there were some years that had transpired between chapter 2 and chapter 3. I mean, this building project was something that was done overnight. It would have taken him a few years. So that's where we get the whole uh, 10 years from. And so now it's time to bow down. And so let's take a look at the command. He says, uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar established an orchestra. You know, he brings all the guys who know how to play instruments. He probably has like the best band out there, you know, the best of the best. Um, if it's a top 40 list, he has like the number one on the, on the hit, you know, on the charts. You know, so he brings the, the, the best of the best. You know, he, he, he establishes his orchestra with all kinds of different musical instruments. Now, at that time, uh, the people heard the music, you know, and when they heard the music play, we're told that they, that they were to fall on their face immediately wherever they were, you know, and worship this gold image. It doesn't matter if you're in your house. It doesn't matter if you're walking on the street. It doesn't matter if you're on your way home, if you're on your way to, to the market. As soon as you heard this music, everybody was to bow down on their faces and just immediately begin worshiping. And then if they didn't, what was going to happen if they didn't? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar said that whoever didn't do this, whoever doesn't bow down and worship will be burned alive in the fiery furnace. And now the question comes up, I mean, someone could be reading this, or, you know, uh, maybe a skeptic of the Bible and think, oh man, no way, they, they, no, no way they burned people alive back then. That's crazy, right? So did, did they really throw people into, into these burning, fiery furnaces? I mean, did they have furnaces that big where they could just launch people into? Um, it's interesting that, that uh, one of the earliest excavations of Babylon, which is actually modern day Iraq, uh, one of its early, earliest exca- excavations, they found this building which looked like a big, uh, like a big oven. It was, it was an actual building which looked, looked like a big oven, and in it was the inscription that said this: it "says This is a place of the burning where men who blasphemed the gods of the Chaldea died by fire." So it's just amazing, you know, that that, that archaeology itself, you know, speaks of, 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 I mean, gives credit to the Bible. And so they found that that inscription with it, you know, again, this is the place where the burning of the burning where men who blasphemed the gods of Chaldea died by fire. And so Babylon, being so big, I mean, they probably had a few of these throughout the whole region, throughout the whole empire. It's like, you know, L.A. County, there's different, uh, you know, uh, sheriff stations or different police stations. You know, they had little holding cells, you know, uh, throughout L.A. County. It would have been the same with Babylon. You know, it wasn't just one big old fiery furnace, you know, for the whole empire of Babylon. They had probably had these set up, you know, all over the place whenever somebody committed a crime or whenever King Nebuchadnezzar just decided to burn someone alive. They just threw them in there. And so this was one of them. And, uh... And so we see again that this is where, where their loyalty is going to be tested. Not just Daniel's, not just, well, we're not going to see Daniel in this chapter, but not just, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but all the people of Babylon. Their loyalty to the king is going to be tested at this point. You know, and I remember that among those officials who were ordered to bow down at, the, at this gold statue, among those officials in Babylon were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right, uh, the three Hebrew friends who, who were brought to Babylon along with Daniel. These guys were, were, were in the government now. You know, they had city jobs. These guys were, were, were important people now. And so they had survived the journey to Babylon as kids. It would have been miles, miles long, you know, with no water, walking to the desert, um, probably no shoes. So they survived that. And then they had, they had survived their, their first test when they, when they were asked to partake in the king's meals and they refused to because, like it tells them in chapter 1, that, that they purpose and in their heart to not defile themselves. So they survived that. Uh, they had survived the anger of King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar when he ordered the massacre of all the wise men in Babylon. They survived that. And now, you know, are they going to survive this? So it's like trial after trial after trial after trial. You know, and one thing that, that, that I see in one, the whole book of Daniel, but, but just in, in the lives of these men specifically, is the sovereign God, the sovereign hand of God in their lives. 
you know, protecting them, uh, covering them, just ordaining their steps, you know, just his sovereign hand, his sovereign uh, um, uh, move in, in their lives. They had mentioned a couple of chapters ago, a couple of chapters ago, that was like God moving the chess pieces together, right? And he's setting up these, these, these kingdoms, he's setting up these situations, and all along, you know, God is in the midst. You know, he's in the details. And God loves to glorify himself in the details. And so we see God in the details. So here are these guys, you know, again, they had already faced uh, death three times, you know, on their way to Babylon. Uh, when they got there and they were ordered to, to eat the food that they refused to, you know, when, when, uh, when King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to kill the wise men, and now this. And along with, with God being the details, really, I see that, that, that Satan himself was, was out to destroy these men, to destroy uh, Daniel and, and to kill these men. Why? Because remember that, that, that Satan is in direct opposition to, 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 to God's seed. Right, ever since Genesis uh, chapter three, when when God gave that prophecy to Eve and told her, "Hey, uh, you're gonna have a son, and he's gonna he's gonna crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent is gonna bruise his heel." Ever since then, you know, Satan's been kind of just on the prowl, you know, trying to find that seed, trying to get rid of that seed. Right, we saw all through the book of Genesis, you know how uh, the the God's people were at danger, you know, time after time after time. You know, and and, and this is no different. You know, God, uh, I mean, Satan is just trying to to, to obliterate that seed. And so I definitely believe in my heart, you know, that, that Satan was was inspiring, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar to do all these things against against Daniel, against the Jews, against the, the Hebrew nation. But at the same time, God was in sovereign control over the whole over, over the whole people group. And so again, we're going to see now that this is where their loyalty is going to be tested. You know, I love this because James chapter one, verse two and four tells us. James says that he says, "My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience." But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Peter tells us a little bit about, about, about patience, about testing, about trials as well. There in 1 Peter 1.6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what does that tell us? You know, as believers in Christ, as believers, you know, as, as, as Christians, as followers of God, as followers of Christ, um, we see that our faith will be tested. It's not a matter of, 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 of if, it's a matter of when. You know, it, it is going to be tested. You know, and it's been well said. I don't know who said this, but I've heard of this a lot. You know, but it said, uh, a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Right? A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. And, and it's, in, it's in times of testing and trials that, that our faith becomes truly known. To us, not to God, because God already knows what we're made of. He knows, you know, He created us. He knows everything about us. You know, the the psalmist said, "Hey, man, you, you know, you know my, my my words before they're even in my mouth, before they're even a thought, before they're even on my tongue." So, so the Lord knows what we're made of. You know, but it's in these in these times of testing and and trials that our faith becomes truly known to us. You know, so pretty much we find out what we're really made of. You know, we find out the stuff that we're made out of through these trials, through these tribulations, through all these hardships. You know, but. It's in times like these that we see, you know, where our, where our loyalty lies, right? When our faith is tested, when we go through trials, when we go through tribulations, when we're, you know, faced with a situation in our life, that's when, when we see, again, not only, you know, where our faith lies, uh, but also where our loyalty lies. You know, and, and it's like we're all going to get to this point in our lives probably, you know, a few times, if you haven't already, where, where you, it's like you're at a fork in the road and you're, and you're going to be faced, you're going to be forced to make a decision. Whether I'm going to just, you know what? Take what's coming towards me, you know, and still hold on to God and just allow him to carry me through this trial. Or just say, you know what, forget this, forget God, forget everything, I'm done with this, and walk away. 
I mean, just in my short time walking with the Lord, I've had friends who, who started off strong and been walking with the Lord. We walked together with the Bible studies, you know, seven days a week, you know, just, just walking hard after the Lord. And all of a sudden, you know, a trial comes and he's like, you know what? It's just not for me. You know, and so we get to that place in the fork in the road. We say, man, am I going to serve God no matter what, no matter what comes my way? Or, or, or am I going to waver at the first, at the first sight of, of difficulty? You know, and so for these guys, they're about to, to face this, this fork in the road. All right. But for us as well, you know, we get to a point where, where we just ask ourselves, we're saying, am I going to cave into the pressure of the world and go against my conscience, compromise my beliefs in God? Or am I going to, to make a stand for what I believe, even if it costs me my whole life? And so these guys are going to, we're going to say that they're going to make a stand. It goes on to say there in verse 8. It says, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship the, the, the image shall be cast down into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. We'll stop right there. Man, tattletales. And so we see that, that certain Chaldeans came and accused the Jews. We don't know these guys' names. We're just told that there's certain Chaldeans that came in and accused the Jews. Now, they had so soon forgotten how, how a few years back, you know, it was because of these Jews you know, that they're still alive, right? It was, it was because of Daniel, it was because of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that, and that all-night prayer meeting that they had, that then the Lord revealed the interpretation of the dream, you know, to, to Daniel and to, and to his buddies. And then uh, as a result of that, all these wise men were saved, right? Their, their lives were spared. And so soon they had forgotten that, 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 that Daniel and these guys had saved, uh, had saved their lives. If it wasn't for them, man, they'd be dead. But, you know, again, they had so soon forgot how a few years back, you know, it was because of these guys that, 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 that they were alive. And now they're accusing them before the king. They're accusing them before King Nebuchadnezzar, right? If it weren't for Daniel and, his, and these three intervening and praying so that God could give them the interpretation of, Neb- of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, they'd be long gone. You know, and now they're bringing them against the king who had also forgotten. You know, what happened to when Nebuchadnezzar said there in chapter 2, verse 47, after, after Daniel gave him the interpretation of the dream, Nebuchadnezzar says this, he says, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. A few years later, man, now he's trying to kill these guys. Right? He had soon forgot. Now, notice the accusation that was brought against these three. I love this. It says, it says there in verse 12, it says, They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image. Man, I would love to be accused of that any day. <laughs> hey, man, I'm going to serve your gods and I don't worship your image. You know, I serve God and God alone. But, and, and so this was the accusation that was brought against these three. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image. Man, what an honor. Right? And so what were these three known for? I mean, keep in mind, you know, in a world that, that demands you to bow down to its philosophies and ideologies, in a world that, that demands you compromise your faith in Christ, what will you be known for? Right? I, I see these three guys and what they were known for in this huge empire of Babylon, you know, the, 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 the world center for, for idolatry, and what these guys were known for, for... For not worshiping these gold images and not serving these foreign gods. I think, man, that's what I want to be known for here on earth. You know, here in L.A., here in California, right? Or, or Corinth. <laughs> it's like, man, that's what we want to be known for as well. You know, man, for, for, for those who take a stand for, for our God, who don't compromise our faith either. And so it goes on to say in there, verse 13. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
So they brought these men before the king. And it says, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Is it true that, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? And so now he's asking me, he's like, hey man, is this true? What I, what I hear, is this true? Now, what I find interesting is that, is that Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't, know, he didn't know what was going on with these guys, right? I mean, he would have never known that these, that these three men didn't bow down or worship the image if it, if it hadn't been for those accusers. He would have never known. I mean, there's thousands, if not millions of people in Babylon. You know, I, I, how is Nebuchadnezzar going to see, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego not bowing down? You know, if it wasn't for these three accusers. Now, what could have, I asked myself, you know, what could have driven these guys to, to, to accuse these, these three Hebrews? You know, what could have driven these guys to, to accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I mean, they, they, they must have been just watching their every move. You know, they must have been just, just waiting for them to slip so they could bring them before the king. You know, they must have been watching them. And I asked myself, man, I paused my time. What, what, what was going on with those guys they, that they just wanted to get, them, get rid of them so quick, right? They had saved their lives. And now we see that they're bringing them before the king to be killed. I mean, they weren't even satisfied with, uh, with, with getting these guys demoted or just getting them, their, their jobs taken away. No, they want to see them killed. You know, so what, what could it have been, you know, that, that, was, that was driving them to do this? You know, well, one thing I think it was uh, envy. I also believe it was jealousy. I mean, they had probably been watching from a distance as these three men were, were promoted to, to their positions, you know, and, and prospering them. And now remember that Daniel had, had exposed all the wise men of Babylon, all the magistrates, all those important people. Uh, Daniel had exposed them in chapter 2 for the fraud that they were. And when he, when he uh, gave King Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation, uh, he told King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, Hey, there's no man who could reveal the message of, of this dream. You know, not a magistrate, not a, 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 a soothsayer, not, not a wise man. He says, but only the God of heaven. And so Daniel exposed them for frauds, right? I mean, none of these guys could, could, could give the interpretation. They said it themselves. They told King Nebuchadnezzar, hey man, it's going to take uh, the gods coming down and, and telling you yourself what this dream is. You know, no one can do this. And so they must have felt pretty dumb. You know, they, they probably looked dumb because here they are, you know, they're supposed to be the wisest men of Babylon. They're supposed to be, you know, in this position of authority. They, they have a reputation of, of talking to the dead and, and being able to read the stars and having communication with the foreign gods. Now all of a sudden, you know, they can't answer them. And here comes this Hebrew slave, you know, not even a, a Chaldean, not even a, a, a native from Babylon, but a, but a, a, a slave from, from Judah. And he gives interpretation to Man, they must have been burning with envy. They must have been burning with jealousy, man. And so they're waiting for their moment to just... Telling them, you know, snitch on them and, and just have them killed, pretty much, you know. And so now they're seeing their opportunity to get rid of them and they take it. They take it. And so it says it there in verse 15. It says, now if you are ready, this Nebuchadnezzar is speaking. He says, now if you're ready, at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music. And, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will, to, who will deliver you from my hands? And verse 16 says, And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and, answered and said to the king, All right, you know, it's not a big deal. I guess, you know, we'll bow down. <laughs> no, they didn't say that. No way. They said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. So they, they're pretty much saying, You know what? Say no more. Stop right there. They're saying, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If, if that's the case, they said, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the, bar, from the burning, fiery furnace, and He will deliver us from your hand, O King. And then they say, But if not, 
But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Man, these guys are bold. I can just imagine the look on Nebuchadnezzar's face at that moment and just all the other guys too. I, I mean, I can imagine all the wise, all the wise men were probably just cheering on. Like, yeah, that's right. You know, you, but you dug your own grave. You're done, right? And so we see that, again, I mean, I, I wish I could see the look on his face, right? But we see that in Nebuchadnezzar's eyes, you know, in his eyes, he was almighty. He was all-powerful, right? He's, he, he wasn't just the head of, of gold. He was a whole body of gold. And, and notice what he tells him. You know, he says, who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? A chapter back, a few years back, he was saying, hey, the God of Daniel is Lord of Lords. The God of Daniel is King of Kings. And now he's saying, man, what God is there that can deliver you from my hand? This guy is just, you know, man, he's, his head's probably like this big, you know, with pride and, and, and just power tripping, right? He thinks that, that in his mind, he's above all gods. He's above any, any supernatural. He's above all authority. He's above any, any kings. He's above everything in his mind. And so he says again, who's the God who's going to deliver you from my hand? Now, this shows that, that the declaration of, of God he, he made earlier in chapter 2 was just surface deep. That's it. You know, it didn't go any deeper than that. It was just on the surface. Right? It wasn't genuine. Um, so he says, I'll give you one more chance to bow down. He's, I'll, he's, I'll give you guys one more chance. And what was their response? And they're pretty much saying, that's not going to be necessary. You don't have to give us another chance. He said, that won't be necessary. They said, if that's the case, he said, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. You know, he's asking, who's the God who's going to deliver you from my hand? He's saying, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. You know, and so the idea behind this is that, you know, they're, they're, they're talking to him. They're saying, hey, man, you're asking who's the God who can deliver us from your command? The God who we serve can. The God who we serve is able. You know, he gave us interpretation of your dream. He's the God of God. He's the God whom we serve. You know, and he's able to deliver us from your hand. And then they say this. They say, but even if he doesn't, he's able to, del- to deliver us. He's able to save us. He's able to, to save us from you, from the, from the fire furnace, from this trial, from, from, from our hardship, from everything we're going through. But even if he doesn't, let it be known that we will never bow down and worship your image. Let, let it be known that we never bow down. If we go down, if we go out, let it be known that let, let, let it be known that we went out with a blast. Right? Let it be known that we went out never bowing down. Man, these guys are bold. I love this. I get pumped up. I was reading that's how to read over and over and over and over. Like, yeah, Lord, that's cool. I want that heart. Right? I love this. You know, and, and as I was reading this, you know, it caused me to ask myself something. It caused me to ask myself, how far are you willing to, to serve God? You know, and really, I was just meditating on this man, and I was thinking, how far are you willing to serve God? You know, does our devotion end when God doesn't answer the way we expected Him to? Right? These guys said, hey, man, even if He doesn't save us, even if He doesn't deliver us, let it be known that we never bow down to your image. Let, let it be known that we never worship your gods. Right? But so many times, you know, with, with so many believers, you know, they, they make a, prof- a profession of faith, and then they're expecting God to do things a certain way, and it doesn't happen that way, even though, you know, they... Felt like they got confirmation from the Bible. Even like, hey man, the Lord told me in scripture, I felt this was going to happen. I was expecting this to happen. Everything was in the right place. You know, everything was, was right for it and, and it never happened. And that causes them to just walk away from God because God didn't do things the way they expected God to do them. You know, and I was, I was really praying about this. I was really just searching my own heart. And I was asking myself, man, how far am I willing to, to serve God? You know, am I going to stop when, is my devotion in the end? Am I going to stop serving God when, when things don't go my way? You know, when things don't go the way I expected them to? You know, for these three Hebrew men, they expected God to deliver them from the king and, and from the furnace. But they understood that even if God didn't do things the way they expected him to, he was still their God, no matter what. It reminds me of a verse that I quote all the time. 
you know, uh, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, that says, God's speaking, he says, For my ways are not your ways, nor my thoughts are not your thoughts. For as far as the heavens are from the earth, uh, that's how different my ways are from your ways and my thoughts from your thoughts. Right? And so they understood, man, we know God is able. We know God has all power. We know, you know, there's no question about that. But even if he doesn't do things the way we expect him to, he's still our God, no matter what. So it says there in verse 19, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fire furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the, and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And verse 23 says, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So they were tied up. Right? And so what was the king's response to this? Okay. King Nebuchadnezzar was furious, right? Here he is, the most powerful man in the world at this time. You know, he has a, a world governing empire. He had already uh, 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 conquered um, uh, Judah. He had conquered Egypt. He had con- conquered uh, Persia. He had conquered, you know, all these other world empires. He was a, the, the, the top dog. You know, he was, man, the, 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 the most powerful man in the whole world. And, and yet here he is, you know, thinking that he's God, that he's above God. He has all power. And here are these three Hebrew men who are talking back to him and saying, you know what? Our God can deliver us. You know, so that was a blow to his ego. Bam, right to the face. Right? And so we're told that he was furious. He was furious. And so he ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times its normal temperature. You know, so he didn't, he didn't just want to burn them. He wanted to cremate these guys. And he, he, didn't want them to, he didn't want them to suffer. He wanted them to just instantly be cremated. Right? He burned, he, he, uh, he heated it up seven times its normal temperature. And so... We're told, that he, we're told that he commanded some tough guys to grab these three men, to tie them up, and to throw them into the fire. And now we're told that the furnace was so hot that the guys who threw them in there were themselves burned alive and died. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever uh, been there, like a Hunton Beach, or you know, when you go, you do a bonfire, and, and when you put a bunch of wood, it's like towards the end of the night, and you're left with a big old pile of wood, you want to take it home. So you throw everything into the bonfire, it makes a huge fire. You're sitting like maybe five feet away. You could just feel like the heat of the, of the bonfire just kind of like burning you, right? You got to step back a little bit. Imagine that times like a thousand. <laughs> you know, here, here are these guys. You know, the, the fire was so hot that as they were throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, they, were, they themselves were burning and they died. Man, they died. And so verse 24 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king? He's like, Yeah, we did. You know, and he says, verse 25, Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And then Nebuchadnezzar went near the, the mouth of the burning fire furnace, you know, and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servant of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, the administrators, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. 
the the hair on their head was was not was not uh, singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. And verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Man, you can just imagine the guys who, 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 who told on them, you know, they're probably even more mad now at this point. You know, they thought they were going to get rid of these guys. Now they're getting a promotion. Man, they can't win. <laughs> and so we're told there in verse 24 that the king was astonished. You know, I mean, I mean, just picture this. He probably watched as they were being thrown in there. He probably watched as these other guys were being burned alive as they were throwing them in there. He probably just saw it and he walked away. You know, he's not going to watch there and, and, and see the whole thing go down. He probably just saw them being, being thrown in there and he walked away. Maybe he takes a few steps. Maybe he looks back. And all of a sudden he sees four guys walking around the fire, man. He had just seen two of his toughest guys, you know, killed but as they were throwing them in there. Now all of a sudden he turns around and he sees these four guys walking around uh, freely. So he says that he's astonished, you know, he's, he's tripping out, you know, and so he's seen these four men walk around in the midst of the fire. And then he says that, he says, and the fourth is like the son of God. Now, here he describes, he describes the, the fourth person, he describes him as the son of God. In verse 28, he describes him as, as God's angel. He says, oh, because God can send his angel to, to deliver him. In verse 17, these three men themselves said that God is able to deliver us. So who was this? You know, was it the Son of God? Was it an angel? Was it was it God Himself? You know, well, it, it was it was God Himself. You know, it was Jesus. This was actually a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. You know, other uh, in Christ in the Old Testament, otherwise known as as a theophany or a Christophany. You know, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. As we were reading through Genesis, we saw this uh, many times as, as as the Lord appeared to 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 Abraham. You know, in the form of a person, we see later on as he appears to to Moses. You know, in the midst of as as a firing, as a burning bush, and then also as the angel of the Lord. We see him also later on appear to Joshua as he's about to enter the promised land and, and overtake Jericho, and he sees an angel. You know, he calls him the commander of the armies of the Lord. You know, and it was the Lord Himself. And so we see him all through all throughout the Old Testament. You know, these appearances of Christ. You know, uh, be, before his he takes on the human form. And so again, it's known as a as a Christophany. And so it just, it blows me away, you know, that Christ himself was with them in the fire. It blows me away. Right? I mean, it's interesting that, that, that God didn't deliver them from the fire. He could have. He could have just struck Nebuchadnezzar right there, struck all these guys, you know, just done away with the whole nation of Babylon as, as an empire. He could have, he could have done all these things, you know, to, to, to save these guys from being thrown in the fire. But instead of delivering them from the fire, he, he delivered them in the fire. Not from the fire, but in the fire. You know, so God could have made it so that they never got thrown in, but he didn't. You know, he allowed them to get thrown into the fire. You know, instead he allowed them to go through this faith testing trial and experience his hand of deliverance firsthand. I love that. Why? Because oftentimes we pray that God would deliver us from a trial. From a trial. Lord, just deliver me from the trial. Lord, don't let me go through that. Lord, you know, spare me from this. Lord, I don't want to go that way. Lord, Lord, you know, just make sure this never comes my way. Right? 
And, 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 and again, we wonder why, why he does it. Sometimes we're praying, Lord, I want to go through this, Lord, this, and then it happens. And, and we wonder, man, Lord, why didn't, you, why didn't you deliver me from this? I was praying. I was fasting. I had the whole church praying for me, and, and it still happened. Why? Did, did you not hear our prayers? Was it, you know, was it something I did? What? Right? And, and, and we think that, 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 God, that God's plan is to deliver us from the trial. And really what he's trying to do is he's trying to deliver us in the midst of the trial. Right? Not only that the trial is part of God's plan for us, because he wants to show himself to us in the midst of the fire, right? like he did with these three men. He didn't want to deliver them from the fire, but he wanted to deliver them in the fire, through the fire, in the midst of the fire. Now, following Christ doesn't make us exempt from trials or, or even suffering. Jesus himself said, hey, in the world you're going to have many tribulations, hardships, all these things. He said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. It's interesting that, that, uh, that Paul the Apostle would write, I believe it's in the book of Philippians. I believe it's in the book of Philippians, but he would write to, to, to the church you know, and he would tell them, he would say, he says, hey, my, my, he says my, my whole life's goal is that I, just, that I may know Christ says, and that I may know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. That I may know Christ, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And so what, what Paul was saying in the New Testament is that you can know Christ and you can know him right through experience. You can know him like, like, like you wouldn't know anybody else by name. You can know him by, by fellowship. You, you can know him by, by his word. But what Paul was saying in the New Testament that, there, that you can know Christ uh, to a different degree, to, through, through a, to a deeper degree through suffering. So that I might know him, the power of his, resur- of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Right? And so... And we see that, that whenever we go through a trial, whenever we go through, through sufferings in our lives, you know, it, 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 we're, we're, we're in a special place where God could just minister to us in, 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 in a way that He could only minister to us you know, in that trial. It's like an open wound. Right? When we're going through a trial, when we're hurt, when we're broken, when we're in the fire, right? when, when, the, when the pain is fresh, it's like, it's like an open wound. Right? The surgeon is on the, before the hospital and the surgeon is about to operate and he can't operate unless the, unless the, the wound is open. Right, but but when the wound is wide open and you know he's got all his tools right there, he could do the deepest work, he could do the best work. And that's the Lord. Right? Is that when he allows us to go through the fire, when he allows us to go through the trials, it's when he can have his deepest work in us, if we'll let him, if we'll allow him. And so for these three guys, again, he wasn't trying to, to deliver him from the fire, but he was trying to show himself strong on their behalf in the midst of this fire. I mean, they would have never known him, you know, to the degree that they did, if they would have never got thrown in. And 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 I'm I'm, I'm going to speak for these guys, you know, and I think I could, I could, I'm, I don't think I'm overstepping, but I, I, I could, I think I could speak for these guys when they said, when, when I say that they would, that they would never um, trade that trial, you know, for anything else. I mean, I believe that, that it was all worth it, right? They went through it, their faith was tested, they experienced God in the midst of the fire with them, and I don't think they would have traded that for anything else. I don't think they would have looked back and said, oh man, that was cool, but I wish we never got, we never would have got thrown in. No, I think, I think the fact that, that, that Jesus himself stood with them in the fire, walked around with them, man, they got to experience him firsthand. They got to, to have that fellowship, you know, in his suffering. I don't think they would have traded that for anything, right? And so again, following Christ doesn't make us exempt from trials. It doesn't make us exempt from, from the fire, from the burning fire furnace. But we have this promise that God will be with us through the trials and the suffering. And, and, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. Right? I mean, I think back on my life and just the stuff that I've gone through, some of the most, you know, hurtful stuff, some of the most painful things, some of the most, you know, uh, just things I wouldn't wish upon anybody. 
You know, but, but, but walking with the Lord and knowing that God was with me and just looking back now and seeing the, the work that the Lord had in my heart while, while I was going through that and just allowing Him to minister to me, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't, right? And so we see that Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that the fire had no power over their bodies. You know, we see that, that, that they weren't burned. They didn't even smell like smoke. That's a miracle. Man, they didn't even smell like smoke. The only thing that, that, that the fire burned, the only thing that the fire burned, well, besides the three guys, besides the guys that threw them in there, the only thing that the fire burned was the ropes that they were bound with. I find that amazing. Right? That the only thing that the fire burned, not their hair, not their clothes, not their, not, not their bodies, but the only thing that it burned was the ropes that they were tied with. You know, because it tells us that they were walking around freely. Now, at that moment, the king gets an answer to his question in verse 15. Right? In verse 15, he said, Hey, who's the guy who's going to deliver me from my hand? Who's that God who's going to save me from me? Who's that God who was above me? Who's that God, you know, who's more powerful than me? That's what he was saying. That's what he was thinking. You know, who's the God who's going to deliver you from my hands? He was saying it with all his ego. And now he gets, his, he gets an answer to his question. Right? Man, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You know, and so, again, uh, you think that after all that, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar remains an interesting character. You think that after all that, you know, after receiving the, 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 the dream, the interpretation of it, after you know, getting a, a prophetic word about what's going to happen with this kingdom, with this empire, the, the, the following empire, after, after seeing you know, these three men thrown to the fire, surviving, you see God himself walk with them in the midst of the fire, you would think, you would think, you know, some people are more hard-headed, but you would think that Nebuchadnezzar would just give up his will, say, all right, that's it, this time for real, you know, I'm going to just... I'm going to bow down to your God. I'm going to worship your God. I'm going to serve your God. You know, my gods are nothing. I'm nothing. You would think. But no. You know, um, you would think that he would just surrender his life, you know, and, and to the God of Daniel and to these guys. But he doesn't. <laughs> we see that God is still going to deal with, with King Nebuchadnezzar uh, with his heart. Uh, we're going to see that eventually, eventually King Nebuchadnezzar is actually going to surrender to the Lord. He's going to give his life to the Lord. But it's not uh, before he still goes through many other trials. You know, and in this, I see the grace of God on his life. You know, the grace of God in his love for sinners. That, that, that the Lord would, would, would use all this, you know, not just for the, for the, for the Jewish people, not just for, for, the, for, the, for the nation of the Hebrews, not just for his, you know, chosen people, but he would, do, he would use this, he would, he, he would do all this, he would allow all this to happen. Why? So he, so he could get the heart, so he could win the heart of a pagan king, of one of the most uh, violent, uh, most destructive uh, men of, 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 the, of the sixth century. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and we see that, that that's the heart of God, right? Peter says that, that God is not willing for none to perish, but that for all would, that all would come to salvation, that all would come to know Him. And so interesting that the Lord would allow all this to happen, not just so you could minister to Daniel, not just so you could save their lives, not just so, so that prophecy could be fulfilled, not just so we could have these awesome chapters, chapter 2, chapter 9, chapter 12 of the book of Daniel, look into prophecy, get all crazy with it, but so that He could save the life of a pagan king who wants nothing to do with them. You know, who was in direct rebellion, direct opposition to God Almighty. And yet God is this whole time trying to woo him to himself. You know, little brother just trying to woo him to himself. And God would do that, man, for any one of us. You know, he has done that for all of us. Right? I just find that amazing. That in the midst of all this, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the testings, in the midst of all this, we see the grace of God, you know, on this pagan king, on this wicked king. And, and that just speaks volumes of the love of God. You know, I love what it says in Lamentations 3.23. Uh, you know, that, that, that God's mercies are new every morning. He says, man, he says, your mercies are new every morning. Therefore, my lips will praise you. And he goes on to just, you know, this doxology begins to just worship God. 
you know, and, and said, hey, man, because your mercy is new every morning, because you're good, therefore my lips will praise you, therefore I will worship you. Right? And, and this itself just speaks volumes of the love of God, you know, the mercies of God, of the grace of God. Now we think, man, Lord, if you would, Lord, if you would go through all this just to get the heart of, of this pagan, wicked king, you know, then, 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 then what would you do for me, Lord? You know, this guy who doesn't even know you at, at this point, you know, who, who, who probably hates God, who probably, you know, again, is in direct rebellion. I think, man, God, if you would do all that just to reach this guy, you know, then ah, here I am, you know, thinking, oh, man, all right, I'm saved. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I gave my life to the Lord, but I mess up. You know, and how could God love me if I mess up after I already, you know, gave my life to him 10 times and went up to the altar, got baptized, did this, did all that. You know, but yeah, man, you, you, maybe we start thinking, man, God's probably done with me. He's probably tired of me coming coming and asking for forgiveness. He's probably tired of me coming and, and asking to, to change my heart. He's probably tired of seeing me, you know, just do the whole routine over and over and over again. But then I, I read things like this and I, and, and I see things like this and I say, man, if God would do this for this guy... You know, who didn't even belong to him at this moment. You know, what wouldn't he do for us? Who, man, we're in him. You know, uh, I love Ephesians because the book of Ephesians talks about all the promises that we have in Christ. If you, if you read through the book of Ephesians, we see in Christ. You know, in him you were sealed. In him you were chosen. In him you, you were saved. In him you were, you were, and you see that, that term, in him, in him, in him, in him. And the whole book of the book, uh, the whole uh, theme of the book of Ephesians is the promises that we have in him. And I think, man, Lord, if you would do this for this guy, then what what do you do for for me? You know, who, Lord, I'm already in you. You know, this guy's already this guy's not he's not even part of you yet. But you know, I'm in you. So why wouldn't you do all this for me, right? Why wouldn't you forgive me? Why wouldn't you love me? Why wouldn't you know? You say, all right, come back, come back, come back, come back, right? And so that was encouraging to me. Out of out of all that, you know, that's what the Lord mentioned to me the most. I hope that you could be encouraged by 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 that as well. You know, man, if you're a mess up like me.